Oh, I didn't hear you guys. Good evening. All right. Uh, why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and we will jump right into the message for this evening. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your love for us. We are so thankful, Lord, that you came to die, that we might have life. Heavenly Father, I ask now that as angels gather on this ground, that as a war begins even now, Lord, that your angels would be victorious. Lord, that hearts may, be, may make decisions, Lord, to be fully under your throne. Please, Lord, speak through me tonight. And may your word be clear as crystal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there is, there has been an increase over the last couple of years in prophecy, the interest in prophecy. People are wondering what's going on. People want to know what is going to happen to planet Earth. And our subject tonight, my microphone seems to be doing something weird. Uh, our subject tonight, that's not the subject tonight. Our subject tonight is the striking of the empires. The striking of the empires. Um, if you would open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. The question we're going to answer tonight, we're actually going to answer two questions, but I'm going to prevent, present the first question to you, uh, which is this. What does the future hold for planet Earth? How many of you would like to find the answer to that question? I mean, we're hearing threats about nuclear war and uh, the world, you know, um, uh, the world being frozen over and all different kinds of things. What does the Bible have to say about our planet's future? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And to do that, we're going to go to the book of Daniel. Now, how many of you are familiar with the book of Daniel? All right. How many of you have ever read through the book of Daniel? How many of you have been confused by the book of Daniel? Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you a very simple principle that's going to help you. It's going to just make things so simple, you'll, you'll just think it can't be true. But here's the principle that I want to give to you. And then we're going to see this principle in action tonight. The principle is this. Here's the name of the principle. Nothing new, only more detail. All right, say that with me. Nothing new, only more detail. The entire book of Daniel works on this principle. The first prophecy of the book of Daniel is found in Daniel chapter 2. And in that chapter, we're going to be looking at that chapter tonight. But after that chapter, after Daniel chapter 2, the rest of the prophecies in the book of Daniel are nothing new, only more detail. What that means is this. If you rightly understand Daniel chapter 2, guess what? You have the key to understand every other prophetic chapter of Daniel. Does that make sense? It's like taking a photo. Wow. It's like taking a photo and then zooming in in your next shot. And zooming in in the shot after that. All you're doing is you're coming up closer and you're seeing more detail being revealed and that is how the book of Daniel is written. The book of Revelation is written in the very same way. The very first prophecy uh, gives us the broad picture and everything after that simply gives us more detail. Very good. Let's go to the book of Daniel. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2 is going to answer this question for us. What does the future hold for planet Earth? Now, in Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Beginning with verse 1, just to give you a little background, this chapter uh, begins with a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. How many of you have ever heard of Nebuchadnezzar? All right, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of an ancient uh, uh, empire by the name of Babylon. Babylon has just taken the children of Israel into captivity, and Daniel is one of those Israelites who is now um, 
under the uh, um, is now a slave basically in the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel chapter two verse two. Verse 1, rather, begins in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep broke from him. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he's very troubled. Verse 2 says, then the king commanded to call the magicians and who else? The astrologers and who else? The sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to shew the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. So King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's troubled. He calls. Let's pause for a moment. This time that we've wasted doesn't count. <laughs> I'm going to have you out here on time. Okay. Daniel 2, again, Nebuchadnezzar is standing before, uh, is, has a dream. He calls in his magicians, his astrologers, his psychics. All these people who are supposed to be able to tell him his dream. Verse 3 says, And the king said unto them, I've, I've had a dream, or I've dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Wow. He dreamed a dream. The dream troubled him, but he doesn't know what the dream was. So the Bible goes on to say in verse 4, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, saying, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Now, Nebuchadnezzar just told them that he doesn't what? Know the dream. So notice what the king answers. Verse 5, the king answered and said to, to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me, and if you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. So now Nebuchadnezzar is pretty mad because his psychics and his astrologers who are supposed to know the I had to get a new one of these because I was told my... Anyway. The future don't know what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. And this is what he's paying them for. So it goes on to say in verse, uh, verse 7, Then answered and, they answered and said again, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will make up, I mean, shew thee the interpretation of it. You all didn't catch that. And the king answered and said... I know of a certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing is gone from me. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar realizes now that these psychics and astrologers don't really have the power that they claim that they have. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can shew the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, nor lord, nor ruler that ask any such thing at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing, verse 11, that the king requireth, seeing there is none other that can shew it before the king except the gods in whose dwelling is not with flesh. Brothers and sisters, I want to let you know tonight that psychics do not have the answer to this question. Amen? Astrologers do not have the answer to this question. Uh, it is amazing. You know, psychics and astrologers, the Bible tells us, are a counterfeit of God's prophets. And you'll notice that psychics and astrologers today, what do they prophesy about? You're going to meet a very lovely man sometime in your lifetime. Now, brothers and sisters, that, that, I don't call that prophecy. I mean, anybody can pull that out of the hat. God here is, the Bible here is revealing something. He is setting aside the difference between that which is false and that which is true. None of these uh, prophets, or psychics rather, can answer the question. Notice verse 12. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So this decree goes out, kill them all. Daniel happens to be included in that decree. It says in verse 13, And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Ariok, the king, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Ariok made the thing known to Daniel. Now I'm not going to read through this whole story because I want to get down to the prophecy. Daniel basically says to Ariok, listen, give me one night. I'm going to go back and I'm going to inquire of who? 
the God of heaven, and I'll have an answer for King Nebuchadnezzar by tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, Daniel goes, Daniel and his three friends, Azariah, Mishael, and and, and, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's who you know him by. And uh, he goes and he prays that night, and the Bible says that God reveals to him the king's dream. Amen. Now, notice what it says. In fact, let me share this with you first before we go there. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 41, verses 22 and 23. This is God's challenge to all the other gods. We're talking about the God of the Quran, the God of Hinduism, the God of all these other religions. Listen to what God says. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us for declare us things for to what? To come, show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold together. God is simply saying here, call your gods, and why don't you, if your God is real, why don't you ask him to tell you what's going to happen in the future? Why don't you go to the holy books of all these other religions and see if they can accurately predict what is going to happen in the future? Because if they can't even do that, then they're evidently not even what? God's. Notice again, Isaiah 44, 6 and 7, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the what? Last, and beside me there is no God. Now, I know that's not politically correct. I know that in today's world, you've got to be accepting. But brothers and sisters, I have to speak the truth to you tonight. God is not accepting of any other God. Because there is no other God in God's mind. And God says, listen, besides me, there is no God. And here's his challenge again. And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. In other words, God's challenge is the same. If your gods are real, if your psychics are real, have them tell you what's coming on the earth in the future. And you know what? You ask them and you probably get, well, the world will be destroyed. Pretty broad. We're headed for doom. Pretty broad. We're going to see in this prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 some of the most amazing things that I believe can convict, convince even an atheist who says, I don't believe in the Bible. So now, let's go to Daniel 2, and we're going to go to verse 30, rather 27, and we're going to notice Daniel comes in before the king, and Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and soothsayers cannot show unto the king. But there is a God in where? Heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the what? Latter days. So God here has revealed to Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream and even is going to tell him what he was thinking. Nebuchadnezzar was laying in his bed that night. Listen, verse 29. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed what should come to pass hereafter. Did you get that? Daniel just told Nebuchadnezzar what he was thinking before he went to sleep. You think that's pretty impressive? Nebuchadnezzar must be going, you're right. I was thinking that. Just like you all are in here thinking now, what is going to happen to our world? What does the future hold? Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, had that same question. And because that question came into his mind, which I believe God put it there, it says, God gave him a dream. And listen to what it says in verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. There is a picture of the image, brothers and sisters. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he sees this image of a man, a great big image, standing before him. Notice what it says in verse uh, verse 32. The image's head was of what? Fine gold. It goes on to say... And his chest and arms of silver, 
and his belly and his thighs of bronze or brass, his legs of iron and his feet part iron and part clay. Now, what do you think must be going on in Nebuchadnezzar's mind as Daniel, who is a servant of the God of heaven, is revealing to him the very thing that he dreamed? Brother says, I believe Nebuchadnezzar's mind is being blown at just about this time. I believe he's going, yes, that is exactly what I dreamed. And notice what it goes on to say. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the, th- of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great what? Mountain and did what? Filled the earth. And now Nebuchadnezzar is totally excited because that is exactly what he dreamed. And Daniel says, we don't stop there. Notice verse 37, verse 36. This is the dream and we will tell thee what? Interpretation thereof before the king. So Daniel is now about to give us the interpretation of this dream. And notice what he says in verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and great glory. And if you jump down to verse 30, verse 38, latter part of verse 38, it says, The God of heaven basically has given everything into your hands and has made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of what? Gold. In other words, Uh, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that he, his kingdom, his empire is represented by this head of gold. And if you study ancient Babylon, you will know that Babylon was very, very rich in gold. And so Daniel says, King, you are this head of gold. And I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar going, yeah, wow, man, this image, this dream that I had of of this terrible statue, this terrible image, uh, that represents my kingdom. And I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar feeling kind of, wow, that's incredible. But then notice what Daniel says in verse 39. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. Now, how many of you realize that Daniel could have lost his life for saying something like that? He has just told King Nebuchadnezzar, That ancient Babylon will not reign forever. You don't tell a king that. Daniel says your kingdom is not going to last forever. Another kingdom is going to rise on the scene and overthrow your kingdom. Now, I've heard a lot of of, um, rumors and a lot of things that psychics supposedly have said were going to happen. But you know... All those things, as I said before, are things like you're going to get a brand new car sometime in your lifetime. Uh, You're going to, you know, win the lotto maybe. Things that are very broad and can be interpreted in many different ways. And so you're looking and looking and looking at anything that happens to say, oh, that must have been it. Daniel here is saying something very specific. He says, a kingdom that is inferior to yours, that is smaller than your kingdom right now. Nebuchadnezzar could not think of any kingdom on the earth at that time that could possibly overthrow Babylon. That would be like somebody saying, hey, um, uh, Iraq is going to overthrow the United States of America. You would go, no way. Not in a billion years. Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, a kingdom is going to overthrow yours. And then he goes on to say, in verse, same verse 39, After thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and then another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break and bruise in pieces. So Daniel says, there are going to be four kingdoms that rule upon the earth. And then he says, after the fourth kingdom, verse 41, whereas thou sawest the, the feet of toes, part of potter's clay, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as iron, or, for, or rather, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. 
And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. In other words, Daniel says after that fourth kingdom, that kingdom is going to break down into uh, smaller kingdoms. Now, let's see if Daniel's prophecy was accurate. Daniel said that Babylon was his head of gold. Was there a kingdom that rose on the scene? By the way, Babylon ruled from, from 605 B.C. to 539 B.C. And in 539 B.C., Babylon was overthrown by another kingdom. Now, let me ask you something. What are the odds of a man prophesying? Daniel must have given this vision sometime early in, uh, in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign. What is the, the likelihood that Daniel could prophesy that uh, Babylon would fall to another kingdom and that actually happened when Babylon was the greatest kingdom in the whole world at that time? What do you think the odds are? Pretty slim. This would have to be, brothers and sisters, something supernatural, which means that the God who inspired this prophecy must be the true God. Or you say, well, Babylon, Daniel was living in that time. That's possible, you know. Maybe he wrote the book a little bit later than we actually thought it was written. Well, let's go on. It says, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Who was that kingdom that overthrew Babylon? The kingdom was Medo-Persia. How many of you remember that from history class? I learned this in sixth grade, I remember. Did not know anything about the Bible. Had no clue that this stuff was actually in the Bible, in the word of God. Medo-Persia, two empires came together and overthrew Babylon in 539 BC. And at that time, Medo-Persia, at the time Daniel gave this vision, uh, explain this vision, Medo-Persia wasn't even a, a, a power to even make Nebuchadnezzar wink. And so this kingdom, Medo-Persia, uh, overthrew Babylon. You remember in Daniel chapter 5, if you want to just turn there with me very quickly, Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson is having a feast. How many of you remember reading this story as a little child? The writing on the wall. You ever heard that? The writing on the wall. This is where the story comes from. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson is having a feast and he has taken the vessels of the sanctuary which Babylon had taken it uh, uh, when they took Israel captive and now they're drinking wine and stuff out of it. And all of a sudden, a finger appears and begins to write on the wall something that no one knows what it says. And uh, they're trying to get someone to interpret it. Everybody is scared to death. They bring in Daniel. And listen to what Daniel says in verse, I believe it's verse 24. After Daniel rebukes the king for his wickedness, it says in verse 24, Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, many, many, to kill you farsin. This is the interpretation of the, of the thing. Many. God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So there we have it. That second kingdom that was to arise was the kingdom of Medo-Persia. And Medo-Persia ruled from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. Now, you'll notice that that is quite a long time. 539 to 331 B.C. Daniel was definitely dead by this time. And yet Daniel's vision or Daniel's prophecy extends way past his lifetime, what would be the odds of, why wouldn't Daniel say, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar, another king is going to rise after you and this kingdom will rule forever? Does he say that? No, he says this kingdom is going to fall as well. Did Medo-Persia fall to another kingdom? The answer is yes. History books tell us that this third kingdom of bronze, can anybody remember something called the Bronze Age? Who is the Bronze Age referring to? Greece. Guess what is the kingdom that overthrew Medo-Persia that happens to be described as belly and thighs of bronze or brass? You got it? Greece. Not even a, a, a power to be winked at when Daniel was giving this prophecy. Brothers and sisters, this is divine. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is no other book 
that lays out the future of nations like the Bible. God says, call your gods, get your books, and and ask them to tell you what's going to happen in the future. And don't be general. Let them get specific. Because if they are truly gods, they should be able to tell you what? The future. This is God's claim to being the true God of the Bible. And so, in fact, we're going to look at this principle very quickly. Remember the principle we talked about? Nothing new, only more what? Detail. Listen, in Daniel chapter 8, in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel has another vision, but in this vision, he sees a ram and a he-goat. And the ram is going across the face of the earth, and it says this ram is conquering. But then this he-goat comes up against it and runs up to the ram and smites the ram, the Bible says, or uh, uh, runs unto the ram in fury and overpowers this ram. Look at what Daniel 8, verse 20 and 21 says. The ram which you saw having two horns are who? The kings of Media and Persia. Okay, well, who is the he-goat that overthrows the ram? The rough goat is the king of Greece, the Bible tells us. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. And all this is happening while Greece isn't even on on the scene yet. So now, we are down to kingdom number three. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. And then, we find that there was a fourth kingdom made out of what? How many of you remember? Kingdom, legs of iron. Legs of iron iron. What was the kingdom? Now, I I think all of you should know this. What kingdom overthrew the Grecian Empire? There you go. Man, you guys are smart. Well, I was behind the slide. Okay. Greece ruled from 331 to 168 BC. Now, this is hundreds of years after Daniel uh, had passed off the scene. And then we have those legs of iron And those legs of iron represent the Roman Empire. Now, I want you to notice this. Brothers and sisters, first of all, this is an amazing prophecy because from thousands of years ago, the Bible wrote this out and the history books bear out that this is true. Now, listen. The fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdue all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and do what? Bruise, Daniel 2.40. The iron kingdom was going to bruise. Does that word ring a bell? Bruise? How many of you remember that word from yesterday? You remember that word? Okay, good. I want you to notice this. The iron kingdom or the Roman Empire was the empire in which little baby Jesus was born. How many of you knew that? Rome was a kingdom that was ruling when baby Jesus was born. You remember Herod sent out his armies to kill all the babies under two years old because he had heard that the Messiah was born. Well, you will also realize that it was the Roman Empire that did what? Bruised Jesus Christ. It was that particular empire that bruised our Savior. The Bible says here, incredibly, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Isaiah 53 verse 5. So the Bible here is giving us the prophecy of the very kingdom that was to attempt or that was to bruise the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, when I first saw this, I was just going, Lord, have mercy. Your, your word is real. I don't know any other God that can Tell me the future. And this is just one prophecy, brothers and sisters. There is so much more in the word of God. He was bruised for our sins. And now Daniel 2.41 goes on to say that the toes of iron and clay would be a what kind of a kingdom? A divided kingdom. Now, this is is just amazing. Daniel could have messed up and said, and after the fourth kingdom, another kingdom shall what? shall arise. He doesn't say that. He says after the fourth kingdom, it's going to break down into pieces. How many of you are familiar with the history of Rome? How many of you realize what happened? Who overthrew Rome? Rome broke down into pieces. 
There was no nation that overthrew the Roman Empire. It simply disintegrated. Barbarian tribes, as some of you rightly said. It just broke down into pieces. And Daniel, with prophetic insight, says this fourth kingdom is not going to be overthrown by another kingdom. No, it's just going to what? Break down. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you. Do you think God can be trusted? Amen. If God knows the future, do you think that he knows your future? Yeah. If God could tell us what is going to happen, do you think he can also prepare us for what is going to happen? Amen. Brothers, I told you yesterday that this is not a prophecy seminar that's going to have you walking away scared to death, but it is a seminar that's going to give you hope. Because you will understand, okay, now I see what's going to happen. Yes, Lord, tell me how I can be prepared. Listen, we know that the European nations are the nations that came out of the Roman Empire from 476 AD to the very present time. The nations have simply broken down out of the European nation. They would break down and continue to disintegrate. So Germany, France, all these different countries were a breakdown of the Roman Empire. And we're told in this prophecy that the, this, this, in fact, let's go back to Daniel 2 and read it. In Daniel 2, notice verse 43. It says, and whereas you saw the iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So in other words, God is saying something to us that these kingdoms would try to do what? Cleave or unite in some way, but he was saying that it wouldn't happen. And you know, it's interesting that as you look at the history of Europe, do you know how many conquerors have tried to reunite Europe, and it has failed and has continued to fail, Napoleon and Hitler and all these different rulers, Charlemagne, who have tried to unite Europe, and it has failed. According to the prophecy, they would not be able to unite it, and it has not happened down to this very day. Brothers and sisters, that, this is an amazing book. This is an amazing prophecy. Now, what happens after this? Notice verse 43. Because how many of you realize where we are in this vision? Are we in that place there? Where are we? Are we here? Are we here? Are we here? Guess where we are? We're right there, brothers and sisters. Right here. And I want you to notice what happens next in verse 45. Verse 44. And in the days of these kings, what kings? Right there. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Jesus Christ himself is coming again, brothers and sisters. And he is coming, the Bible says, right in that time there to shatter this entire image, to strike the empires. Brothers and sisters, how many of you want to be ready for that event? Ooh. <laughs> Come on, brother. Let's, let's get those arms exercising, huh? How many of us want to be ready? Let me ask you something. If everything has come to pass, as the Bible has said, what are the odds that that stone that is cut out without hands, what are the odds of that not happening? Zero. If all this has taken place, as the Bible has said, has said the odds of, the, of the, that stone being cut out without hands, the odds of Jesus Christ not coming back is very, very unlikely. And there are people out there saying, ah, oh, you know, come on, it's, it's, that's just something all made up. That's why God has given us this prophecy to show us things that we can, uh, uh, that we can verify by history so that when we get to that rock part, we know, yeah, this is not something that uh, is being made up. This is something that is real. I'm going to go to my next slide because we're going to move now into our second question. Why will these empires be struck? 
And now, brothers and sisters, this is where your understanding, for those of you who were not here last night, let me say that uh, we're going to be making tapes available. If you missed last night, you have to get it in order to understand what we're about to talk about next. But don't worry about it. I will explain a little, so don't, don't begin to you know, get nervous. But sign up for the tape, and it'll be a two- or three-day turnaround. The tapes are free. I didn't hear any amens on that. <laughs> All right. Why will these empires be struck? In order to understand that, we need to understand the beginning of the rebellion. Now, we remember yesterday reading about this, this uh, angel called who? Lucifer. Lucifer was a perfect angel in heaven. God created him perfect, created him in love, which means that he created him and all the angels with the freedom to what? To choose. The Bible says thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created until what? Iniquity was found in thee. And what did we say iniquity represented yesterday? Iniquity represented lawlessness. Now, the Bible lets us know that Satan began to practice lawlessness in heaven, which means that in heaven there must have been a law. Is that clear? Raise your hand if that's clear. All right, excellent. There must have been a law in heaven. Now the Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 17, Thou hast defiled thy what? sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, that means lawlessness, by the iniquity of thy traffic. So here we're being told that what Satan began to do was to purposely defile something called the what? Sanctuaries. Now, the question is, what are these sanctuaries or what was this sanctuary in heaven? We see the word sanctuaries. We remember that the word sanctuaries represented what? Holy places. That's what the word means in the Hebrew. Holy places. And we saw according to uh, Jeremiah 17.2, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our what? Sanctuary. So then God's throne is synonymous with the sanctuary. And what do you do from a throne? You rule. And so when Satan uh, defiled the sanctuaries, what he was defiling was God's throne or God's rule or God's L.A. law. Very good. All right. Now, what was the law in heaven? The law of God's sanctuary was this. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And again, Romans 13, 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, what? Love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the law, the law of self-sacrificing love. This was the law of God in the heavenly sanctuary. And we remember that Satan was called the covering what? Covering cherub, Ezekiel 28 verse 17. What was he covering? Well, as we look at the sanctuary, we notice that there was that box. Oh, wrong pointer. There was that box, special box, which had two angels that were carved on it, and these angels arched their wings over. They were called covering cherubs. Satan was covering the law of self-sacrificing love. Now, we understood Revelation Star Wars. The Bible says there, For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my what? Throne above the stars or the angels of God. I will be like the Most High. Lucifer sought to set up his own Empire by getting rid of whose empire? God's empire. By getting rid of whose throne? God's throne. Now, I want you to notice Ezekiel 20, I'm sorry, Exodus 25, 8. The Bible says there, let them make me a what? Sanctuary that I may dwell among them. When God, uh, when Satan came down to planet earth and caused Adam and Eve to sin, the gift that God gave mankind was the sanctuary which was a miniature form of the government of God. Are you following this? Is it simple? I mean, you understand what I'm saying. God sets up this miniature model of the government to show mankind what the, what the government of God is like. And he sets it up in, this, in the desert, and this sanctuary is to do some things that we learned about yesterday prepares for the coming of Christ, prepares to get the victory over Satan. Now, remember the sanctuary had what was called holy places, two compartments. Thy way, O God, is where? Is where? 
in the sanctuary. So Satan's goal then would be to do what? Destroy the way. Now, why does God mention Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome? Well, if you're thinking clearly with me, let me go to my next slide. Babylon. Listen to what it says of King Nebuchadnezzar. Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 7. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. What this is saying, brothers and sisters, is that Babylon, when they overthrew Israel, they destroyed their temple. So then, Satan threw Babylon destroyed the what? Temple in 586 BC. In other words, because Satan understood the principle that this temple represented the government of God, he works through Babylon, the head of gold, for the purpose of doing what? Destroying the the temple, destroying the sanctuary, destroying the way, because he doesn't want people to understand the plan of salvation that God has put in that temple. You get that? Amen. Very good. Now notice about Medo-Persia. The Bible says here in Ezra 4, 4 and 5, Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building because after Babylon had fallen off the scene, the Medo-Persian king, the first king, allowed, or rather the second king, allowed them, King Cyrus allowed Israel to go back and start building their temple. But under the same kingdom, it says the people of the land troubled Judah, troubled them in the building, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius the king of Persia. So brothers and sisters, under the Medo-Persian empire, Satan through Medo-Persia hindered the what? Rebuilding of the temple. So you see that? Babylon does what? Destroys the temple. Medo-Persia does what? Hinders the rebuilding. Why? Because Satan doesn't want this temple around. This is his kingdom now. This is his world. He doesn't want God trying to set up his government here so that men can see how they can be free from Satan. So he, destroy, he hinders it through Medo-Persia. Now, 536 B.C. to 521 B.C. That's when the, that hindering took place. Now, under the Grecian Empire, Satan through Greece. How many of you know this one? Okay. You should know this one. Desecrates the temple under Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, how many of you remember that? Okay, famous, you know, everybody. Antiochus Epiphanes under, under the Grecian Empire desecrated the temple. Again, Satan, through these kingdoms, the war is over the sanctuary. And now, the Bible says of that fourth kingdom, that iron kingdom, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Daniel 2.40 Jesus, when he went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to shew him the building of the temple, and Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. What was Jesus talking about when he said the temple was going to be destroyed? Who was coming to destroy the temple? The Romans. Historically speaking, the Romans broke in pieces. Remember, that fourth kingdom was to do what? Break in pieces. The fourth kingdom, Rome, broke in pieces the temple in 70 AD. How many of you are seeing the controversy here? Satan does not want the temple on this planet. He doesn't want the temple to accomplish its purpose. But guess what, brothers and sisters? When Satan did this in 70 AD, it was already too late. I didn't hear any, any, any amens on that, but you'll understand what I mean when I get there. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. That's when Jesus, what? Died. The Bible says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks did, went, did rent. What did it mean the veil of the temple was ripped in two? What do you think that signified? Jesus had accomplished the mission that the temple pointed out he was to accomplish. Yeah. Amen. Satan tried everything he could to destroy that temple, but Christ comes and fulfills the mission. When he dies, the temple is ripped, meaning that, meaning that the mission 
was accomplished. Satan failed to stop what the sanctuary was supposed to Remember the earthly sanctuary was to point out that Jesus Christ was to come and die for our sins. And when Jesus did that, the earthly temple was no more needed. Listen to what it says here. Satan failed to do what? Stop Christ's earthly mission and to stop the fulfillment of the earthly sanctuary. The earthly temple was shut down and a heavenly temple is what? Open. Very good. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched not man. So watch this, brothers and sisters. Rome or Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Satan used these four kingdoms to try to destroy the earthly temple. But Jesus, when he died, the temple, earthly temple, was no more any good. It had fulfilled its mission. And now Christ ascends where? To heaven, into a heavenly what? Temple. Jesus Christ, our high priest. Here is Satan's dilemma now. See if you can see this with me. Satan has no access to where? Heaven. He cannot any longer physically attack the what? Temple. Why? Because where is it? Alright, don't mind me as I come down here. I'll preach from down here. Where is it? It's in, it's in heaven. And now the question is, how will he attack God's sanctuary now? That's his dilemma. Watch this, brothers and sisters. In the time that we have left, I hope that I can comprehend. We're almost done. All right. Enter Satan's masterpiece, the clay kingdom. Now you say the clay kingdom. What am I talking about when I say the clay kingdom? Remember, head of gold, chest arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron. All these are used to attack physically the earthly sanctuary. But in that fourth kingdom, Christ now does what? Ascends where? To heaven, Satan is saying, what am I going to do now? And you'll notice that after the Roman Empire, now you have this introduction of something called the clay kingdom. Now, why is that significant? Let me read to you a couple of texts about clay. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the what? Clay, and thou art our potter, and we are the work of thy hand. Brothers and sisters, clay in the Bible is used to represent People who profess to have God as their molder and maker. Now, I don't know if you catch the significance of that. Who is Satan going to use? Who? uh, Man, he is clever, isn't he? He is going to use people that profess to serve God to attack the what? sanctuary. Now watch this again. Clever. What kind of clay is it? It was what? Miry clay. Notice what the Bible says about miry clay. He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. In other words, miry clay is clay that has no foundation. So watch this now. The clay kingdom would represent a kingdom professing to serve God, but has no what? Foundation because it's really not following the Bible, the scriptures. And then, notice what else? Let's just recap that real quick. The, the kingdom of Mary Clay represents a kingdom professing to be a spiritual kingdom, a professed spiritual kingdom that has no foundation, that is built upon sand, and a professed spiritual kingdom that would unite the kings of the earth. Remember that clay is mingled with the what? With the iron. And the iron... Proper represents the broken down kingdoms of the Roman Empire. So here you have a spiritual kingdom uniting with a with national or with political kingdoms. Now, remember the principle we talked about? Nothing new, only more detail. We're going to go to Daniel 7. You don't even need to turn there. I don't want you to turn there for the sake of time. You can read that when you go home. But trust me, okay? You understand. Okay. In Daniel 7, there are four kingdoms that are mentioned in Daniel 7, but now they are described as animals. And you'll notice, I'll read, I'll just. 
go through this quickly with you. This first animal that's described is called a lion. It's a lion with wings. The lion with wings actually corresponds with the head of gold. And then there's a chestnut of silver that corresponds with the bear that rises up after the lion. And then a four-headed leopard rises up after the bear. And let me just say to you, who would that leopard represent? Greece. It's interesting, brothers and sisters, that the Grecian Empire, after um, Alexander died, his kingdom was broken up into guess how many parts? Four. Under four generals, and these generals began to fight one amongst another. You find this in history books. But anyway, then this terrible beast that's described almost like a dragon, the Bible says it had great iron teeth. Do you see any significance there? Legs of iron, beast with iron teeth. So that beast would represent who? Rome. And then it goes on to say that this beast had ten Horns. Interestingly enough, the image in Daniel 2 says that comes down to the feet or the toes. Ten toes, ten horns. Now, if we are correct, there should be another power that rises up that would correspond with the who? With the clay. Does that make sense? Let's go to Daniel 7 very quickly and just look at verse Daniel 7. We're going to look at verse... Twenty-one. I'm sorry, verse 8. I considered the horns, he's talking about the ten horns, and behold, there came up among them another, what? Little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. In other verses it says, speaking blasphemies. Jump down to verse 21 with me. I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Brothers and sisters, here is a spiritual kingdom. The clay is the same as the little horn of Daniel 7. And here is a spiritual kingdom that professes to be serving God, but is making war with the saints. Huh. Jump over with me to Daniel 8. Daniel 8 speaks about the same little horn. And notice what it says in Daniel 8. Verse 9, and out of one of them came forth a little what? Horn, which waxed great. Verse 10, it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. And then it says, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. That's Jesus. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his what? sanctuary was cast down. Brothers and sisters, let me recap just a little bit. The, little, the clay of Daniel 2 is the same as the what of Daniel 7? Little horn, you get that? Which is the same as the little horn of Daniel 8. And this little horn of Daniel 8 is said to do what? Cast down the sanctuary. Well, the question is real simple. This little horn of Daniel 8, what sanctuary is it trying to cast down? The heaven. Why? Because the earthly sanctuary was destroyed back in the Roman Empire. So this little horn is warring against the heavenly sanctuary. How is it doing it? It is casting down the truth to the ground. It can't physically reach up there and cast it down. And so it wars against it in theology. Does that make sense? It wars against it in, in, in turning men's attention from the heavenly sanctuary. Now, I'm letting you out. I'm going to be finished at 8 o'clock. I've got five minutes. What a task. But listen to this. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, all attacked the earthly temple, div divided Europe, or this little horn power which is not divided era, but this little horn power, which we're not going to identify right now, this little horn power, let me tell you, is the same power as Antichrist. This is who Antichrist is. We're not going to talk about that yet. We're going to save that for another night, but I'm just leading you up. The little horn power attacks the, attacks the heavenly temple. Okay? Here's another illustration. Babylon, Medo, Persia, Greece, Rome, all attacked the earthly temple, but Jesus... 
dies and does what? Ascends in the Roman Empire, ascends to the heavenly temple, and so now the clay kingdom, his attack is against the heavenly temple. How does this little horn attack the heavenly temple? Very simple. Daniel 7.25, speaking of the same little horn, he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out or persecute the saints of the Most High and shall think to change times and laws. Now question, whose laws are this, is this little horn trying to change? Driving laws. Immigration laws. No, brothers and sisters, it can be only one law, and that law is the law of self-sacrificing love, which is found in the heavenly sanctuary. This is why these kingdoms must be struck down, brothers and sisters, because the war is against the heavenly sanctuary, the law of God found in the temple of God. At the second coming, Christ will strike the physical empire of Satan and destroy it. The kingdoms of this world are destroyed because they follow Satan in rebellion against the heavenly sanctuary, its high priest Jesus Christ, and its law of love. Let me share one more thing with you. Listen, the head of gold is moldable. Gold is moldable, amen? Right? Silver. A little bit what? Harder. Brass? Harder. Iron? Harder. What happens when you reject the law of self-sacrificing love? This picture, this image, this dream, this vision is the vision of every human being who consistently turns away from Jesus Christ. Your heart will get harder and harder and harder as you say, Lord, I'm going to run away from you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. The heart, the human heart gets harder and harder and harder. And because iniquity shall abound in the last days, the love of many are going to what? Wax cold. But let me tell you what is the most offensive to God. When you pretend that you are moldable, but you are mixed with iron. This is when the rock comes and smites the image. When those who profess to be following Christ are really against him. When those who profess to be serving God, when those who say, Lord, you're the potter, we're the clay, mold us, but we're not going to do what you ask us to do. That is the most offensive thing to God, brothers and sisters. A war against the sanctuary law of love leads ultimately to destruction. This is the image of a self governed man. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Brothers and sisters, Jesus comes again. When that stone comes out of the mount, out of, out of the sky, it is not only coming to destroy the rebellion that is under Satan's rule, but he's coming back to get those who have given their lives to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there is no need to fear. When you see these things going, upon, or going on upon the earth, God says, don't fear. I'm coming back to rescue you from this mess. Whether you die or whether you live, I'm coming back and I'm redeeming all my people. Why would you want to stay under Satan's throne, he says. Why would you want to live and, and just have no hope and no understanding? The Bible says, and they that be wise. You know what it means to be wise? It means to understand what time we're living in. It means to understand what the war is about. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the what? Stars forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, Revelation Star Wars, let me say it again, is a war over the heavenly sanctuary. Satan does not want you to understand it and he doesn't want you to enter it because he knows if you do, you will be ready for Jesus to come and he will not have dominion over you. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Athena, would you come sing for us?